1: Welcome to a bonus episode of Pod Save America with the former Vice President of the United States, Al Gore. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. I, I was going to call it
0: an extra special episode, but bonus is fine. Extra special? I want people to <laughs> feel like they're getting something better. Because
1: you know what they got? They got the former Vice President of the United States, and he's a movie star now. He's, he's a had, movie star. He's about to have two hits. Oscar winner, <laughs> Nobel laureate. We're talking to former Vice President Gore about his new movie, An Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power, which is out now in select theaters and everywhere August 4th. You should see this movie. So we, the three of us, saw it on Monday evening to preview it. It is an excellent movie. Everyone should go see it.
2: Go see the movie.
1: Go see the movie. If you're in New if York you, in L.A., you can see it right now. If you care about climate change,
0: you go see the movie. Yeah, bring a friend. If you have a friend who doesn't believe in climate change, maybe bring them. That's even more important.
1: That's it's even more important. <laughs>
0: Especially if it's the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you Anthony
2: Scaramucci looking for a Sunday film? How about I take your boss? Go hang out. Because until he started deleting tweets, he believed in climate change. That's right. That's right. So maybe the mooch and Trump can uh, go see the film. I mean, Al Gore has already talked to him about it in person. Uh, but
0: uh, I have some breaking news, though. Ooh. We already filmed the episode, the conversation with Vice President Gore. Recorded. We don't film yet. Good call. <laughs> yeah. He was very funny. He was loose. Love it. Tried a no bunch spoilers. of jokes. No spoilers. Love it. Tried a bunch of jokes. Some both. of them landed. Some of them landed. A lot of them landed.
2: The first so you can joke be the I made. You be the
1: judge, guys. <laughs> the first you're I the a, audience. <laughs> we listen to you.
0: He
2: turned and looked at me, and I for one second er, I was back in that van where I made that joke about Buzz Aldrin, <laughs> and I thought he was going to punch me in the face. But he, then he laughed, and he was in on it. It was good.
1: <laughs> he did tell you you're funny at the end. He said you're yeah, funny. That was nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, not to give it all away, you're about to hear it. So, uh, without further ado, our interview with former Vice President Al Gore. And see the movie. Adieu. We are very lucky to have with us today on the pod, former Vice President Al Gore. We are talking about his brand new movie, an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. It is out now in select theaters and everywhere on August 4th. Mr. Vice President, welcome to Pod Save America. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
2: There's sort of a big difference between this movie and the original movie, which is, I felt like the first movie was a case based on facts and data and the predictions about the future. This movie felt much more about, here's what's happening right now. Here are the changes you can see on the ground. What was the most surprising, shocking thing you saw while shooting for this movie?
3: Well, first of all, it's great to be with you guys and congratulations on this podcast. It's amazing. how quickly the audience has been growing, and I'm, I'm really happy to be with you. The directors of this new movie, Bonnie Cohen and John Schenk, have developed this uh, cinema verite style, which accounts for some of the differences between this movie and the one a decade ago. But there have also been uh, some big changes since the first movie in the world as a whole. Number one, the... Climate-related extreme weather events are way more common, way more severe, more than exceeding the uh, worst uh, predictions of the scientists a decade ago. Which, by the way, ought to lead us all to pay more attention to what they're telling us would happen if, in the future, if we don't grab hold of this. But the other big change in the last decade is that the solutions are here now, and in many areas of the world. To pick one example, electricity from solar and wind is now cheaper than electricity from fossil fuels. In many cases, uh, less than half the cost of electricity from fossil fuels. And because the cost continues to drop for renewables, before too long, it's going to be that way in most of the world. There was just a contract signed in Arizona at less than half the the cost of electricity from fossil fuels. Uh, Electric cars are coming online. India, astonishingly, announced last month that within only 13 years, 100% of all their new cars and trucks are going to have to be electric vehicles, uh, which is amazing and really heartening. India and China are closing hundreds of coal-burning plants, quickly expanding their their solar installations, in particular also wind. So um, I was um, shocked to uh, circle back to the uh, specific Question by the speed of the uh, decay, degradation, melting in Greenland. I've been to Antarctica twice. That's not included in this movie, but the same thing is uh, going on there. And I must say, uh, in uh, Tacloban, uh, the impact on the people there of uh, Super Typhoon Haiyan was was really shocking. But in the positive sphere. I was shocked by uh, the incredible growth of solar in Chile. Wow. Uh, Michelle Bachelet, their president, she's uh, the second time around there. and uh, I worked with her extensively in her first term. She came back in and really uh, went to town on this. And it's, uh, it's teaching a lesson to a lot of other countries
0: who are now poised to, the, to follow that same breakout. Mr. Vice President, the, the movie builds to this incredible moment at the Paris Climate Accords, and you're in these negotiations with business leaders and, and foreign heads of state, and then we the world takes this meaningful action to stop climate change, and then Trump is elected, and it unravels what was accomplished in some ways, and it feels deflating, and I think for a lot of Democrats who are watching the news day-to-day, They feel that sense of deflation about a lot of things they care about that Trump is pushing for, like the health care bill. What's your message to people who feel frustrated by stymied progress on climate change and to progressives generally who want to keep fighting for the things they care about?
3: Yeah, hang in there. Uh, We're going to win this. Uh, I've been at this for 40 years and I've seen a bunch of setbacks and obstacles to get around. And Trump is certainly a, a big one. But, you know, the Paris Agreement was designed in a way that makes it technically impossible for the U.S. to actually leave the Paris Agreement until the day after the next presidential election in 2020. And if there is a new president, please God, um, (laughs) if not before, please God, uh, then a new president could merely give 30 days notice and rejoin the Paris Agreement. But I was really concerned when he announced the withdrawal because I feared that a number of other countries, and I had a few I was particularly worried about, would use that as an excuse to withdraw themselves. Mm -hmm. But it didn't happen. And to the contrary, the entire rest of the world redoubled their commitment. That process is ongoing, as if to say, we'll show you, Donald Trump. And here in the U.S., a lot of governors and mayors and business leaders stepped up to the plate, filled the gap, said, we're still in the Paris Agreement. And it now looks as if uh, there's a real good chance that the U.S. will end up meeting the commitments made by former President Obama in the Paris Agreement, regardless of Donald Trump. Now, that's not to say he's not trying to do a a lot of damage, and he's surrounded himself with a rogues gallery of climate deniers who are doing really awful things. Not a Scott Pruitt fan. (laughs) No, no, I'm not. I thought they were the
2: best people. Have I not been, have I been misinformed? I was told these were the best people by him. No?
3: Uh, And you believe him. Uh,
2: (laughs) I believe my president. Am I wrong? (laughs) What
3: kind of cynics am I dealing with here? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we do have some resilience in our American system and the courts have blocked some of what he's tried to do. The Senate defeated his effort to repeal the so-called methane Rule And a number of Republican members of the House have now switched over to supporting solutions to the climate crisis. I love this so-called Noah's Ark Caucus, and people think it's named as an analogy to the biblical deluge, and I guess it is. But it's also in reference to the fact they can only join two by two, uh, (laughs) one Republican and one Democrat. And they're up to 30-some-odd members now. And we're actually close to a working majority in the Congress. Of course, the elections next year are going to be absolutely uh, crucial, more than ever. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen where the White House is concerned. The next few months are likely to be pretty challenging for the country. I don't want to take us down that rabbit hole, but... But um, we're down there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We'll take
2: pictures for you. (laughs) What's the
1: old song been down so long? It looks like up to me. (laughs) So you said in the movie that we don't just have a climate crisis. We have a democracy crisis. Yeah. If I had seen this movie a few years ago, my first reaction would have been if only everyone could see this movie, we wouldn't have so many climate deniers. Yeah. Today, we have a president who spends all day attacking fake news. We have a good chunk of the Republican Party who doesn't even believe things they read in the New York Times or that they see on CNN, let alone a movie from Al Gore, right? Mm. So how do we break through? How do we fix this democracy problem as it relates particularly to the spread of information in the media and trying to persuade people about the crisis that we're facing? Well, now Trump seems to spend all day attacking his own attorney general and, and
3: (laughs) and the White House chief of staff and the communications director have been. Dis- he, I, I think uh, Anthony Scaramucci used the phrase Cain and
1: Abel <laughs> uh, <laughs> this morning. Did, yeah. Oh, okay. Talked about treason. Talked about hanging. Was a lot, lot of things happened on CNN this morning with what's Anthony what's the Scaramucci. <laughs> it's a real problem. I'm
0: sleeping through all this news. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're, and you're still believing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wake up and they've lied all morning. I don't think you got to the end of the Cain and Abel story.
3: Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, we do have a democracy crisis for sure. And big money has uh, been playing a very toxic role. You know, I have watched the Congress for most of my life because I was, my dad was in the Congress for 10 years before I was born. And uh, I was elected back in the mid 70s. And I've watched the uh, impact of big money grow and grow and grow. It really kind of started when television displaced print as the dominant medium, and candidates became dependent on these 30-second TV commercials to reach the voters and the audience, and all of a sudden there were gatekeepers that charged huge amounts of money. So contrary to what it was like in the mid-'70s, now the average member of Congress and House and Senate spends four to five hours every day begging special interests and rich people for money and Human nature being what it is, you get the result that uh, the Piper demands payment and, and, and gets it, and that's it. But this uh, podcast, not to engage in transparent flattery, but this podcast is an example of the new Internet-based media that has the potential for restoring the vitality
0: of American democracy a car is never just a car kelly blue book knows it's so much more than that it's your commuting chariot your road trip refuge your i just need a reason to get out of the house your car is there for everything and for everything car there's kelly blue book need a new set of wheels price it on kelly blue book problem under the hood fix it with kelly blue book can another car do the job better trade it or sell it on kelly blue book
2: we're here mile after mile moment after
0: moment price it fix it trade it sell it kbb.com visit kellybluebook.com to get
1: the journey started Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends. By
3: returning to a model for um, information dispersal that uh, the printing press uh, made possible, where an individual with smart ideas or a small group can actually reach out and connect with an audience that agrees with them, and then there's strength in numbers, and the gatekeepers are not playing a big role now. And we're in a transition period. Uh, aggregate ad revenue on the internet just crossed over and surpassed a broadcast cable satellite for the first time this year. But the big advertisers still prefer TV, and so the transition is continuing. But I actually have a lot of hope that the uh, internet media, even with all of the well-known Problems. There are some self-correcting mechanisms, and there are a lot of people trying to to uh, make sense of it. But I, I think we have a, a real chance of restoring the original uh, dynamic in American <laughs> democracy. Uh, Bernie Sanders, even if you don't agree with a, a lot of what he proposed, uh, did uh, show that it's possible now for a nationwide candidate to mount a a credible and effective campaign with no special interest contributions and no big contributions from anybody just relying on small donors on the internet. And I expect to see some more campaigns uh, following that model, which would be a real earthquake uh, in American politics and help us uh, restore what it, what American democracy is supposed to be.
2: I just want to make sure we flag that we were referred to as sort of modern day Thomas Paine. Um, So we all caught that. Everybody you did. Good? Yes. We're going to keep that in. We're going to keep that in.
3: Yeah, and yeah. now I, I warn you: by the time George Washington's tenure ended, uh, Thomas Paine could only go to the White House through the back door. He was so unpopular by then. And you guys may be heading down that road. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I think, don't we're think we're getting our press anymore. pass. We're not getting our. Pre- <laughs> we're not getting our credential
1: anytime soon. Yeah, not Ivanka, in this one. No, no. Ivanka
2: doesn't return my uh, emails anymore. We never emailed. Uh, so I want to talk about this. Persuasion question, because it's something that we talk about a lot that it seems like this case is now incontrovertible. You go down to Miami. Miami's literally flooding. Meanwhile,
3: on a sunny day,
2: on a sunny day. Right. And meanwhile, you have politicians either denying or avoiding the issue. People like Marco Rubio. It seems like the facts bounce. And,
3: and governors. And governors, yeah, of course. Who, who I hope, dearly hope and pray, gets trounced by Bill Nelson, who is a fantastic senator. And anybody yes. in Florida, get out there and help Bill Nelson. Yes. Right. yes. Let's get right, that, that guy ahead. out of
2: there. But it seems as though facts don't play as much of a role in persuading people. that you know, You've been at this for decades. It's been one of the, yeah. the mission of your life now. What have you learned about persuading people, about changing somebody's mind? Is it less about the actual nuts and bolts case? Is it about behavior? What moves people? One-on-one, your conversation. Yeah. You sitting. You sit across from Donald Trump, who is president as of this recording, <laughs> uh, and you lay this out for him. Ivanka brings you in. She, they claim to care about the issue. Pulls out of Paris. What is not happening in that conversation that needs oh, to happen? Oh, Lord
3: God. I, I don't know... Uh how to uh, analyze what goes on in the president's mind I, I've, I've protected the privacy of those conversations uh, but you won't be surprised to having heard so many business types uh, say that he can be very cordial and engaging in, in conversations and make his interlocutor believe that he's uh, agreeing and so forth I really did think there was a chance he would come to his senses on, on Paris and I, I was wrong and I think that he had, I already mentioned he surrounded himself with all these climate deniers, and, and I think that he's uh, obviously uh, following a, a strange blueprint of just continuing to play to his base, which is a, a shrinking minority of the American people, and count on the differential intensity of that base to counterbalance uh, the majority who is getting increasingly uh, apprehensive uh, about him and I, I, you know I, I can't psychoanalyze him but back to the beginning of your question it's a really important one I mentioned just by coincidence uh, George Washington earlier somebody sent me a quote from George Washington yesterday and I'm not going to get it exact but it was uh, people are persuaded first by their feelings and then their thoughts catch up So all the fancy neuroscience and behavioral psychology of the last few decades is simply recapitulating an insight that our first president (laughs) already had. And, of course, the founders were such brilliant humanists, uh, they understood this, and they actually designed uh, the Constitution in order to take into account the role of feelings and passions versus reasoning and thought. So there's not that much new under the sun where this is regarded. But uh, a lot of work has been done to try to uh, develop the best and most persuasive approaches to convincing people to be a part of this. There is a new participant in the discussion. Mother Nature turns out to be more persuasive than uh, any of us uh, who are climate activists. Um, These extreme events, I, I mean, just one quick example just in the last seven years, the U.S. has had 11 so-called once-in-a-thousand-year events. And every night on the TV news is like a nature hike through the Book of Revelation. And people are are beginning to connect the dots on their own. And the second factor is also adding to the persuasion. I referred to the cost down curve for renewable energy earlier. And the movie uh, has a, a scene in Uh, The city of Georgetown, Texas, described as the reddest city in the reddest county of Texas where the Republican conservative Trump supporting mayor happens to be a CPA and did the numbers on solar and wind and converted his entire city to 100% renewable and they're saving money. Their bills are going down. They notice the air is cleaner. And as a happy side benefit, we save the future of human civilization. And all of these cities that are making this commitment, uh, most recently Atlanta. You guys have been to Atlanta. I've been to Atlanta. Trust me, if Atlanta can do this, any city can do this. Pittsburgh, as opposed to Paris, uh, just made the commitment to 100% renewable. The Climate Reality Project that I founded is having a big training program in Pittsburgh uh, in a few months. Uh, So I I think that the task of persuading people gets a little bit easier as the realities around us change pretty dramatically. And the movie does attempt to put this uh, climate movement in the context of other great morally-based causes that have all, you know, abolition, women's suffrage, the civil rights movement, anti-apartheid, the gay rights movement. If somebody had told me five years ago that in the year 2017, gay marriage is going to be legal in all 50 states and Uh, accepted, honored, and celebrated by two-thirds of the American people? I I would have said, uh, I sure hope so, but I think you're whacked.
2: I wish my my mother would stop calling me about it now.
3: (laughs) It's like mostly just a hassle. (laughs) Well, the point is, uh, sometimes uh, the ferocious resistance seems like it'll never give way. Nelson Mandela once said, it's always impossible until it's done. And having grown up in the South during when the civil rights movement was picking up momentum, I can tell you uh, the resistance to the civil rights revolution was at least as ferocious as the resistance to solving the climate crisis. But when these questions uh, get less complicated, when the underbrush is cleared away, and we get a clear view of the binary choice at the heart of it, between right and wrong, then the outcome becomes uh, foreordained. And I think we're really, really close to that with the climate movement.
1: I'd like to hear your thoughts on where you think climate and energy fits into the democratic message. But more broadly, what do you think the democratic message should be? Right, You've been in politics a long, long time. There's this whole debate after we've lost in 2016 between Hillary people and Bernie people and where the party should go. And what's your view on, you know, Chuck Schumer said the other day, and people didn't know what we stood for. So. Yeah. What do we say about what we stand for? Where does climate fit into that? And you know, what do you think the best path is?
3: Well, I was criticized back in 2000 by a lot of Democrats for articulating the message uh, we, we have to be for the people, not the powerful. And maybe that message was a bit too early. I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't want to get into the outcome of that election, but, but I do think that one of the reasons so many people did vote for Donald Trump is that he, he harvested some of the free-floating anger about uh, stagnant middle-income wages, the fear that globalization was leaving a lot of people behind, and that the so-called experts in uh, the economy and trade and everything else uh, hadn't really uh, kept them in mind. And with the rise of inequality, both in incomes and net worth, and also in political power and influence, people, I think, are hoping the Democratic Party will draw from its traditional ideological roots and say, we're for you. We're for the average people in this country. We trust in the in the wisdom of crowds, we we think that together we're, we can make better decisions than these elites and the powerful uh, few. And I, I don't think that has to come across as a kind of rabble rousing at all. I think it's really the the way America has primarily succeeded over the last two and a quarter centuries. And so I, I would hope that the climate issue would be a core part of it. You know, solar jobs, just to take one example, are now growing 17 times faster than other jobs in the...
0: Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst.
3: Uh, structures to deal with the 25 percent of the global warming pollution that comes from inefficient buildings. that would create tens of millions of new jobs in communities all around the country that jobs that can't be outsourced. And uh, I didn't start the fire. <laughs> you started, I didn't start the fire.
2: It felt like the right time.
3: <laughs> we can't take them anywhere. <laughs> I, I see what see you what mean. Saying. Now, are you building your audience in spite of him? <laughs> yes. <You> know, <laughs> so if you like to I'm
0: polarizing. <laughs> <laughs> the research tells us. <laughs>
1: well, congratulations again, guys. And, yeah, thank I, you. I'm, thank, I'm, you I'm, thank you so much. <laughs> Everyone should go see this movie. I mean, we're so glad that we we walked away very scared, but also hopeful.
2: Yes, and look, <laughs> the hope and despair is runs throughout this movie. We're in the middle of these crazy fights. It's a despairing time, but I think people can go see this movie. It's out in New York and L.A. already and be part of a conversation about what we can actually do. And Trump is not going to last forever, but, you know, we'll be here.
3: Now, to the young people in your audience, I know you have a lot of young people. If you're 18 and under and if you happen to be on Snapchat – They're giving two free tickets to anybody under 18 to go see the movie. Oh, that's great. Oh,
2: Oh, and one other thing, you're partnering with Indivisible. Yeah. We love Indivisible. We We work with them a lot. Oh, yeah. And you're doing these town halls with Indivisible across the country where you can go see the movie and talk to local elected officials. And one of the great things about the movie, too, is that, look, Trump is going to be there, but towns and cities and localities and companies and colleges are going to help meet Paris without Trump.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, I know we're out of time, but, you know, even though big money has too big a role— even though the bar we have to clear to make uh, a popular democracy work is higher now, we can still clear it. If enough people go to these town hall meetings, knock on the office doors of their elected officials, tell candidates that if they're good on climate, they'll help them, but if they're bad on climate, they won't rest until they get them defeated, we can make this work. Indivisible is great. Ezra and Leia have become uh, good friends. I profile them in my new book of the same title, uh, uh, Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power. Did I mention the website, inconveniencesequel.com? com? there you go. Uh, You could buy advance tickets to the movie there, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Thanks 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 for tolerating me. Thank you for (laughs) for joining us. Everyone go see Inconvenient Sequel, Truth
1: to Power. It's out in select theaters now. It's everywhere August 4th. Uh, You talk a lot about the tension between despair and hope in the movie, and it's good to see that you're still on the side of hope. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Frank. Holy Holy shit, what a conversation. That was so great. (laughs) That's our outro. (laughs) (laughs) We're recording the outro. Outro. (laughs) Beginning of outro. Anyway, that was a great conversation with Al Gore. We are very grateful to him for uh, sitting down with us. Everyone go see an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Bring a friend. Bring your climate denier friends. And
2: go to inconvenienceequal.com, and you can find out about the town halls and the yes. other activism. Indivisible, our good friends, are doing some kind of a guide with the As, we, with as the they thing. just
1: heard on the episode, yeah. It's but great. But we didn't
2: really get into the guide part
0: of it. Cool, And, cool. and Snapchat is doing something. They told us to mention. That we were told to mention where you can get free tickets if you are Snapchat 18, some stuff if you're under, under 18. 18. Yeah. And you see the movie so as,
1: as the vice
2: president just described so listen tommy left some left some holes there you're gonna to have to plug those in yourself
1: <laughs> which you probably or maybe they're plugged by hearing the episode you know uh, what? i
2: wanted to ask him but i didn't which is what's one good thing that climate change is doing i know that was a great question on the funny. list i thought you were going to get there i know but we ran out of time should we go back in time i'll text him. okay great cool. we'll text them
1: all right guys we'll see you later have a great weekend Bye. end of outro This show is sponsored
2: by BetterHelp. Is there something you need to get off your chest? What is your outlet for working through the things that stress you out? Uh, you know, I, I do the crossword. That helps. I'm also, I also go to therapy, you know, and I say, uh, this week, I don't want to make any progress. She's like, ugh, that's what she said last week. We all carry around different stressors, big and small.